What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. I am Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you? Doing very well. How are you today? I'm doing great. And uh, here we are, Lance, with episode 99 of the Missing Maura Murray podcast. Can't believe it. I thought we would never go more than 18. <laughs> now, 99, almost at 100. It's wild. And uh, so speaking of episode 100, we exactly. are going to do a uh, we're going to do a live show, a Facebook live show for episode 100. And so just to give you a date on that, it is April 10th that we are going to record this Facebook live session. It's going to be at 1 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, our Facebook page at Maura Murray Doc. And so, Lance, for this episode, episode 99, we talked to an old co-worker of Mora's. Yes, a very nice woman. Her name is Michelle. She reached out to us. She had a crazy story about a car accident that she got into, made her think about Mora. They worked together at the art gallery at UMass. 
Yeah, so she knew her a little bit, and we have a great conversation with Michelle about uh, a little bit about more, a little bit about what the campus was like about at that time. So I hope you like it. It's uh, it kind of spans some some interesting topics, and we also, as you mentioned, got get into a personal story with Michelle about a car accident, and you can. It's kind of an amazing story, actually. Yeah, aside from it being just an amazing, crazy story about her car accident, it just goes to show that when you're looking at this in the world of Maura Murray and her car accident, no car accidents are exactly the same as you said in, in this interview. But there are so many factors that go into a car accident. You can't predict something. You can't take away something immediate and say, this is exactly what happened. And you'll hear her talk about her story and some really remarkable factors that, that occurred during and after her, her car accident, which was much worse than Maura's. Which proves the point even more that these are these are these are like snowflakes. You know, they're they're all unique to themselves. And one really cool thing about Michelle was she gave us a glimpse into what Mora was like during that time immediately before she went missing and her impression of Mora when she first met her and her impression of what Mora might be doing on campus just based on her own experience. Like she's part of one group and Mora was part of another group, so she was really able to tell us like I don't see more doing something like that or she just wouldn't have done something like that or she did here's why I think she would have because she was around her and she knew her and she also related to her even in the ways that she did not relate to her she could she could give us a good assessment of what she thought more would you know make a decision based on yeah so thanks a lot to Michelle for uh, reaching out to us uh, and providing some information it was a, I think it's a very valuable conversation and uh, really interesting to talk to her so Big uh, shout out and thanks to Michelle there. Now, Lance, we have some live shows coming up. One that we recently scheduled in Nashua at the Riverwalk Cafe uh, that we sort of did a panel at uh, a few weeks ago. Yes, the forensic science panel that we were invited to sit on. It was a little bit intimidating to be there with all of the sort of law enforcement professionals and we provided the the media end of things and it went really well. The venue is awesome. They have food, they have uh, a full bar, uh, like craft beers. And we thought when we left, like this is a perfect intimate venue if we wanted to try to do something live that is uh, a little bit outside of our uh, region. It's not super outside. It's in Nashua, New Hampshire. So it's just over an hour away, but it's in New Hampshire and it's cool to expand. And they were very open to having us there for a live show. Our first one is going to be on Wednesday, May 22nd, and they would like to do this every fourth Wednesday of the month. So we have one show a month at the Riverwalk Cafe in Nashua. All right, so check it out. Uh, tickets to be announced soon, and we'll uh, send you some links. Check it out on social media. Check us out there. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at Maura Murray Doc. We're on Facebook and Instagram as well. We will be promoting it. Again, it's May 22nd at 6 p.m. in Nashua, New Hampshire. Riverwalk Cafe. And speaking of panels, Lance, we're going to the American Investigative Society of Cold Cases, and we are speaking on a panel with John Lorden of Brain Scratch and Mike Morford of Criminology. Two of our favorite people that we've had on the show and we've spoken with in regards to cold cases, both in recorded interviews plus just over the phone or at CrimeCon anytime we get together. So it's uh, going to be a really good time sitting down with these guys and and being able to have an interactive conversation with members of law enforcement as well. So that's going to be a lot of fun. That's April 15th and 16th in Albany, New York at the College of St. Rose. 
And our panel is bright and early at 9 a.m. on the 16th. So that'll be a lot of fun. And speaking of true crime podcasters, Lance, we just came back from a, uh, a trip to the garage in Ohio to uh, visit Nick and Captain of True Crime Garage. And we appeared on their couple episodes that they did on the mysterious disappearance of Brian Schaefer out of Columbus, Ohio. So check out those two episodes. Those guys are great. And uh, listen to those. We're on there. And follow them and subscribe to their show. And uh, also want to give a shout-out to Eva. Uh, big thanks to her who uh, sent us a little uh, lunch money. Yeah, a little little Christmas day here at the Crawl Space Studios. Thanks to Santa Eva. Yeah. Thank you. Shout out, Eva. And also, we're using some of the audio that we recorded with those guys, Nick and Captain. The night before we recorded the Brian Schaefer episodes, we did sort of a roundtable conversation with them about missing people, uh, specifically Maura Murray, Brianna Maitland, Brian Schaefer, and Brandon Lawson. And we kind of batted around ideas, just the four of us talked about the latest information and things like that. So that is available on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash crawlspacepodcast, and you can subscribe there, become a patron for $5, 10 or $20 a month. And I want to issue a formal Patreon apology. We're finally getting our Patreon act together here. We have a wonderful young man. His name's Brian. He's come in to help us out with some of the social aspects, some of the housekeeping that you and I, Tim, just can't keep up with. So Part of what he's doing here to help us out is to look at everything like Patreon and say, guys, here's what you have to do. You can't you can't promise things that that you you don't know you can deliver. You have to look like work within your scope so that you can deliver the material you you say you're going to deliver. The point of Patreon is so that we can continue to produce these shows at a high quality and a higher standard every single episode. And in order to do that, you know, we got to pay the bills. So this is why we're revamping Patreon. And we have a lot of information and a lot of material that you just don't, you don't hear, um, including the true crime garage round table, impromptu discussion, as well as some behind the scenes stuff that happens in this office. A lot of behind the scenes stuff on Patreon, but we're also starting a Patreon vault episode. And the goal is for this to be a weekly sort of true crime news show where we're also going to read some comments from the latest Crawl Space episode. And if you're curious what that Patreon uh, vault episode sounds like, we are going to release it on the Crawl Space regular feed over the weekend. So that's kind of like a taste of what you get weekly on Patreon for Crawl Space. A little teaser. Yeah. And speaking of Crawl Space, Lance. Speaking of everything. Speaking of everything. We just had one of the biggest episodes ever for uh, our podcast, Crawl Space. If you're not subscribed to Crawl Space yet, you got to get there. Do it. There's links in the show notes. We have an interview with the brother of missing person, Brandon Lawson. His name's Kyle Lawson, and he spoke to Brandon the night that he disappeared. And you all remember the uh, the 911 call that Brandon left that leaves everyone very confused. Well, Kyle's got a lot of information on that, so check it out over at Crawl Space. And here's a quick clip now to uh, wet your beak. I don't believe that I had nobody chasing my brother out of town that night. He may have been thinking that or something, but I don't, I don't believe that. He actually said the words to you one time run, or did he say run one time? One time run, that means a cop. It's a a, a police officer, a cop. One time. Okay. Code word. Okay. I don't know why he told me to run from the police officer because he had just called nine one one not minutes before that saying he needed police. The call that's out there now that 
people can listen to the 911 call on YouTube. People have slowed it down and they've tried to analyze it. That call happened before he called you and said one time run and then said, uh, where's your pride, motherfucker? Is that correct? Yes. What do you make of him saying, where's your pride? Do you have any thoughts on what he meant by that? Man, honestly, um, I don't know. I guess where's my pride? Why, why, why would I not run? Like, Did he sound like he was out of breath? Did he sound like he was running when he called you? Look, in the times that I was on my way there when he would call me, yes, he was, run- he was out of breath and he was running. But whenever... I talked to him whenever I got there. He was he was standing he was standing still somewhere. He was somewhere where he was he could see me, but I could not see him. How can you be sure that he could see you? Because he told me that he could see me, and he told me that it was a cop that was pulling up on me, and that's what it was. And I know my brother, and I, and I know that my brother was there. He told me he was there when he made the nine one one calls. You hear the <laughs> sound that everybody thought was a gunshot or or something like that. It's not a gunshot. It's a vehicle going over the seams of that bridge right there on the Colorado River, and it makes that sound whenever you're underneath there. The echo of it makes that sound whenever a vehicle goes over the seams of that bridge. That's what you're hearing in the in the call. Yes, that's what you're hearing in the 911 call. Okay, so check that out over at Crawl Space. Subscribe. Find it on Stitcher Premium. If you're a member of Stitcher Premium, you can get the entire Crawl Space archive in addition to all of Missing Maura Murray and the Missing Maura Murray creator commentaries, Lance, that we've been doing lately. There's so much material on the Stitcher Premium. I'm really proud of that. And I'm also proud that we got this interview with Kyle Lawson, and that was brought to us by our our good friend, our our buddy, our our coworker, uh, Chloe. She's going to be having her podcast, True Crime Twins, with her twin sister, Melina. That's going to be coming out soon, just getting together again, some of the housekeeping that's involved with that. But she reached out to Kyle. He was incarcerated for a minor drug infraction, and she continued corresponding with him and they developed a, uh, a a really good working relationship. He gets out and agrees to do an interview, and it's just a really good example of how nurturing these relationships can lead to something a lot better. Okay, so check that out over at Crawl Space, and check out the links for True Crime Twins, and follow them on social media as well. And CrimeCon, Lance, we're going to CrimeCon in June in New Orleans, Louisiana. And if you are on the fence about it, you got to take the plunge and use promo code CRAWLSPACE19 to save 10% off registration at CrimeCon.com. I bet we're going to see a lot of people that we met at the first CrimeCon and then we reconnected with at the second CrimeCon. So we'll see those folks again at the third CrimeCon if this is your first one. Just know what you're getting into. It's all the people that you want to hang out with because it's it's this genre. Everyone's passionate about it, and you get to tour podcast row. You get to go to these seminars that will teach you safety, like personal safety, technology, law enforcement. There's so much going on there, and if you are a fan of true crime, this is sort of your mecca. This is an amazing place to be. Okay, so we'll see you there, and hope you enjoy this interview with Michelle, and follow us on social media, and thank you very much for listening. Welcome to Missing Maura Murray. We are being joined here today by Michelle, who used to work with Maura 
at UMass. How's it going, Michelle? Good. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing very well. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. This uh, came about a couple of weeks ago. Can you tell us uh, your your background, why you reached out, and, and how you knew Maura? Sure. Um, so I went to UMass Amherst with her, and I worked with her basically at one of the galleries. Um, I followed her case. A, you know, a little bit here and there, like every year there would always be something on the news. I didn't realize there was such a huge like following and all these podcasts and the book that was written. So my mind was kind of blown when I realized, you know, how many people were following it and trying to solve it, which is awesome. So I worked with her at an art gallery on campus. It was part of like a work study program for me at least, I'm not sure if she had work study, but I'm guessing she did. So it was an, um, there was a couple galleries like dispersed through the, the whole campus. And we used to basically be gallery guards. So you would kind of just sit there, do your homework, sign people in who came to look at the exhibits. We also sometimes would hang the exhibits and, um, do like openings for shows like serve wine and, food and whatnot. Um, so she worked with me there and on, again, I haven't listened to everything, but most of the things I heard, everyone kept saying she was a security guard. She was a security guard, which she was in her building. But, um, I was always kind of surprised. I didn't hear much about her working at the gallery because maybe it was a job that she worked less hours. Um, and Sarah, her good friend also worked there. I think I used to share a shift with Sarah, so I would talk more with her than Mora. But we and there was also like a mural project going on that, you know, occasionally we'd go like, you know, clock in a couple hours painting this. It was a um, a Bosch mural that's actually in Southwest now, but it was a huge mural that took a long time. Um, and Mora also used to work on that with me, so my relationship with her was basically just the work relationship. Like I feel like, you know, a few times we always talked about maybe going out or seeing each other outside of work, but we kind of saw each other a lot at work. So that never happened. Um, so I didn't know her that well. I just remember, you know, Sarah coming in, of course it was so long ago. I can't remember what day it was, but, she came into work one day and asking me if I had seen Maura or heard from her. And I said, no, I don't, you know, I don't really talk to her much outside of work. And, um, she was, you know, kind of freaking out. She said her dad called me this weekend and he, they can't find her and he's panicking. And, um, you know, I guess it goes on from there. So that's kind of, you know, the gist of, of being with her, but she, you know, she was, super nice girl just like everybody says always smiling um never in a bad mood like she just seemed like you know an awesome person to hang out with she was great to share shifts with and you know it's just it's so sad what happened like her dad breaks my heart watching yeah this stuff with like I just it's so it's been so long and I just you know, I picture my dad doing the same thing and sad. Yeah. 
you said that uh, Sarah was her good friend, and you're talking about Sarah Alfieri, right? Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, they seemed really close. Like I said, I never hung out with them outside of work, but a lot of times we work nights, so, like, we would do the opening, and, you know, we'd kind of hang out at the the gallery, but it seemed to me like they really hung out outside of work, and, you know, I'm not sure how much, but they just seemed a lot closer than I was with either of them, you know. And so Mora was uh, always very personable and friendly and jokey with you. Oh yeah, she was she was super nice. I do remember when I first met her though, she was like really quiet. Um, you know, hardly said anything. So she did seem really shy at first. I I remember actually thinking this is weird, but I remember thinking she was possibly even from like a different country because she hardly you know said anything at the beginnings so I thought maybe her English wasn't good or something like that because she would kind of just be like hi Michelle and like that was it so I started in my head being like hmm I wonder like why she's so quiet but you know then she you know she opened up not too long after that but definitely shy at the you know first couple meetings that I had with her did you guys work specific days of the week? Yeah, if I recall, like your shifts were were deaf. Like everyone, I I'm pretty sure it was like I worked every Tuesday from two to six, and you know Sarah worked like every Sunday from this to that. So I'm pretty sure like the week schedule stayed the same, but openings were always different. So. Every, I don't know, three months, they would change the artist. And our bosses were John and I, Anne, I think was her name. Um, so they would pick an artist. They'd meet with the artist and then we would kind of do like the legwork. Like we would get all the, the paintings hung and measured and, you know, put the labels up and whatnot. So when we had that, we would maybe do some of the work during our shifts, but then when the opening was or the day before, like it, it could be a Tuesday night or it could be a Saturday night or, and um, usually we'd stock like stock up on, you know, employees at, on the opening. So pretty much everyone. And when I say stock up, there was like five of us that worked there. It was a small couple of galleries, but um, we would all be there because you kind of need, enough people to serve stuff and answer questions and whatnot. So those were unpredictable, but the regular schedule I'm pretty sure stayed the same. And then the mural painting, and I, I can't say I'm a hundred, hundred percent sure that Mora act physically painted because a lot of times there was staff just in that back room where we had the giant mural and some of them, like, didn't paint, but they might have helped with, like, you know, getting materials or, like, sketching stuff or laying things out if they didn't feel comfortable painting. So she may have been on that side of it. But um, I definitely remember her, you know, being with us in that back room, which was, like, behind the gallery, kind of where we used to paint this giant bosch mural well, that's um really cool yeah the bosch mural is, yeah. is really interesting there's some um interesting characters and <laughs> <laughs> at first yeah. at first glance it it sort of is reminiscent of say like uh dali salvador dali mm -hmm. uh maybe yeah, a little he bit was a, he was an interesting character that artist so it's you know it's a copy um 
of the, I think it's the Garden of Earthly Delights, if I recall the name of it. But okay. he was um, like, yeah, very interesting. I, I feel, and I could be wrong, but I feel like it's from like the 1500s or somewhere around there. And um, yeah, for back then, his subject matter was pretty... <laughs> was pretty funny like if you really and it's from far away it kind of just looks like this you know like big garden with a bunch of crazy people in it or whatever but when you actually like look closely at stuff there's some pretty hilarious things going on like (laughs) in and out it yeah very odd um and yeah. I definitely prefer to believe uh, that Mora did work on this because I think that's uh, is really cool that you know yeah. part of her work is is preserved like that, right? So I hope she did. I'm curious about the uh, the days of the week that you work. So I just want to go back to that real quick. You said that you usually yeah. work there on Tuesdays. Yeah, and again, it was so long ago. <laughs> it's it's t- it's hard for me to remember exactly, but. Again, I feel like that, I feel like the only guess I have that's um, good for that is because I remember Sarah coming in saying that Maura's dad had tried to contact her on the weekend. So it was either like a Monday or a Tuesday, I think, that I worked. What day did she actually um, go missing on? Like, what day was the crash? It was, the week? It was a Monday. Okay, so maybe it was Tuesday then. So maybe she didn't say weekend. Maybe she said last night he contacted me. No, I think it would have been. I think it would have been the following week because he wasn't up there until two days later, and so that would yeah that would have put him on Wednesday. And then by the time he communicated to Sarah, and by the time she saw you, it would make sense that it would be the following week early on. Right. Okay. Got it. Yeah, because I I do feel like I remember. I thought she said weekend, but, um, again, it's been so long. (laughs) And when she said this to you, was there anything in the back of your mind saying to you, oh yeah, I could see Maura maybe packing up and and running away a either permanently or just to get away for a break? No, (laughs) absolutely not. Like, no. Um, again, I didn't know her on a deep level. Um, as I'm listening to things like I, I, I think I've read some of the conversations that she had with her girlfriends from home, you know, about getting tickets and to that comedy show and whatnot. So she seemed a little more open with them, but, um, no, absolutely. Like, absolutely not. I would never, never. I mean, it didn't even cross my mind that that was a possibility that she had, you know, some people say that she committed suicide or that she ran away. Like, from my point of view, no. Like, I would never say that. Um, never even, I don't think it crossed my mind at all. I was kind of, I didn't know a lot of information about it. Like, Sarah would kind of fill me in. But um, I don't feel like it was publicized on campus. at all. Like, I honestly don't remember... I remember telling other people about it, like my friends and we all lived in Southwest and they, it was sort of like they had no clue kind of thing that it happened. So, which is weird looking back on it because it should have been, I feel like it should have been a little more publicized, but you know how you are in college. Like maybe I was just unaware of um, how much, maybe they put it in the paper there and whatnot. And I just didn't, you know, see it. But um 
that's my remembrance of of that day. And then, like I said, Sarah would kind of, I think Sarah was in direct communication with Fred. So she would kind of fill me in on things here and there, but I, I just had no clue, you know, like, I think like everybody's first intuition was, Oh, that bus driver took her. Like that's, you know, when I heard that, that was obviously my first thing. I was like, Oh, he definitely took her. And then I do remember my boss saying like the cops questioned him because this was John. I do remember him saying like he had got one of the initial emails from Moore saying she wasn't going to be in work for a couple days because I forget the exact quote that he said that she said to John. It was either that she had a funeral to go to or it might have even just said she wasn't going to be there for a few days. And our boss is very laid back about stuff. So I'm sure she didn't have to say anything like too detailed because again, there was always people to fill in and he was really laid back, but he did get one of those emails. So I don't know if it was like the next week or even a couple weeks later, but I remember him coming into us um, as we're painting the mural, like we would get breakfast and have coffee and kind of hang out. And he said like the cops had contact him and, you know, he was sort of like nervous, like, that it's you know it's scary or whatever yeah sure you know he is a male and he's older and whatever you know so um he had said that you know the cops just questioned him about you know i guess his relationship with her like the email that he got and and whatnot so that i but i never got questioned um i don't i mean maybe sarah did and i just don't remember the exact her telling me their conversation or anything but John was the only one that I remember from her work really being questioned about anything so again that's that kind of seems interesting to me too that like everybody wasn't kind of asked like you know what's up with her like do you think do you know anything do you think anything so I don't know was he questioned (laughs) by the local police or the campus police like the umass police or was it state police i think it was the umass police and again i'm not a hundred percent sure because i feel like if it was state police or he he would have been a little more um vocal about it so i'm pretty sure it was the umass police just kind of following up with that email and yeah you know because you know what i think he was he was a little nervous, I feel like, because a lot of times before we would have shifts or do the mural, like, I remember being in John's truck by myself a lot. Like, we would go downtown and get coffee or pick up donuts before the shift, and it was kind of like whoever was around would go with John in the truck. So it would just be, like, me and him and his truck, and we would drive downtown or whatever, and, um, you know, super nice guy, like, could never imagine him doing anything, but... um that's where I thought maybe they were going with the conversation. Like, but I I don't even think they asked him anything like that. I don't know if they were even aware that we used to, you know, drive around with him or, yeah, you know, I don't know. It was probably just because of the email. Yeah. That's, that's my guess. But, um, I guess it goes back to like, not a thorough investigation being done at all. Because I remember my parents being like, they didn't ask you anything. Like, they didn't ask you if, 
you know, thought anything. And my dad's a truck driver and he drives down that road a lot where she went missing. And, you know, he, I remember him telling me like right after it happened, like, Oh, that road is bad. Like your cell phone doesn't work. Like it's super desolate. Um, you definitely wouldn't want to get like break down over in that area. And he even used to like, when he would drive, I, I don't know if it was every week he would drive up there. Cause he would have kind of like the same routes. Um, but he would look for things, you know, like try to see if he could see anything on the side of the road or, yeah, or whatever back then, because I don't know, it didn't seem like much was being done right off the bat. He would drive what kind of truck through that, uh, route one twelve. He delivers um, granite and marble, and I'm pretty sure that like he has worked for another company, which was McKesson. It was like a pharmaceutical company, but I I'll have to ask him again because um, I'm not positive. If it's the granite truck, it's it's a pretty big truck because the, I, I those slabs of marble and granite are super heavy. Um, and if it was McKesson, it was more like a box truck. Mm. But, um, yeah, he definitely used to go down those roads. And he and he, and he used to say, like, the turns were really bad because, again, he is a, you know, a big truck. And you have to be careful with that stuff. So he used to remember um, not a good road. <laughs> yeah, the reason why I ask is because we explore a lot of possibilities. And one of them is whether or not a transient person who is familiar with that road is being a... Uh, uh, like a cut through between the two major highways could have been traveled by somebody who was a, a regular truck driver or, you know, just delivered stuff with a larger size vehicle, but not a right. resident, just they were familiar with the area. So we had never really confirmed anything as far as like what types of trucks are even allowed to drive through there. Um, and if he was able to drive the granite truck, then that opens up some possibilities for someone who is again right. a, a transient person, but familiar with that area. I'm guessing like he always talks about we my dad and I talk all the time on the phone and um he always is saying like oh well you know the GPS says go this way but you can't because the truck can't go on this road. Right. So even if it was McKesson like I say it was a box truck but I I know he's always pretty much had like the 18 wheelers and so I would say either way it would have had to be a road that accommodated large trucks um he would know right away, though, if I asked him, he would remember and he would say, yes, it does, you know, or no. Um, so I'll have to ask him. It's, it's hard I for know. me to um, hard for me to believe that Mora would turn down an offer from Butch, the bus driver, and then get into a big 18 wheeler after that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and obviously no. at that point, I'm sure no. an 18 wheeler would be noticed. I mean, it makes a lot of noise yeah. when it's stopping and starting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But if yes. she like ran down the road a little bit, or you know, actually no, it even it makes less sense if she ran down the road a little bit. Because even like if you're standing on the road, like how good of a view do you even have of the driver of a truck? You know, if you're standing on the passenger side and they flip the door open, like you, I feel like you could barely see the person. Yeah, no, I just right. I just don't see it. Maura getting into a truck like that. And uh, you know, I also feel like a truck like that would be difficult to grab somebody too because it's sure. like you got to jump out of the thing. <laughs> You know, I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, if a bus driver pulls up and he opens those double doors, if that's kind of how it went down, and usually there's a light on, you know, so you can kind of see the person. Yeah. If they come over and open the doors differently than, you know, if you could 
see in a car or truck. Um, but yeah, I doubt she would have gotten something else if she didn't want to take anything from Butch Atwood. So John was the manager of the gallery, and he's the one that received the email where Morris said that she had an emergency or a death in the family. Do you know if he got that right. email the, the night before or a couple of nights before? Did he happen to tell you when he got the email? I don't, and I'm not... He may have told us, and I don't remember, but um, I'm not positive on that. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of... Classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh. Stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much-needed Z's, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams. On February 4th, The Minds of Madness is set to release an investigative four-part series centered on a cold case from nearly four decades ago. At first, it was just, my mom's gone. And then it became, you know, your mom was taken by a bad man. They found video of him killing women. If you'd ever watched any uh, episodes of Breaking Bad, that's exactly what you would see. He buried these 11 women and kept going out there. He made a road going out there. You got this dude saying, hey, I'm going to show your family these pictures. And, like, he's secretly taping her. The cops don't care. We're nothing to them. Dumped her like a piece of garbage, you know? I don't see anything that screams there's two people doing this. I never thought anything was going to come of this case. Ever. Listen to the Minds of Madness series, Who Killed Jennifer, starting February 4th, wherever you get your podcasts. Step into the hidden corridors of the past with Hometown History, where every episode uncovers the untold stories and secrets nestled in the streets and alleys of our own backyards. We bring history to life, revealing the extraordinary in the ordinary, from local legends to forgotten tales that shape the communities we know today. Tune into Hometown History and embark on a journey through time, right from where you are. I'm Morgan Rector, host of the Human Monsters True Crime Podcast. Do you find life boring within the comfort zone? This is the right show for you. It will test your endurance. The offenders profiled are among the most inhumane. These people specialize in the unthinkable. Human Monsters, available wherever you get your podcasts. And what about Sarah? Did um, did she share anything else about uh, about what she knew, or did she seem just completely confused by by Morris' disappearance? She seemed totally shocked. Like I remember her being choked up about it, um, definitely upset. But I mean, her asking me if I knew where Mora was was kind of like what? Like yeah. why? You know why would I know that? Um, but 
again, when you're frantic and you're just trying to, you know, I'm sure she asked everybody, but, um, and, you know, talking to her dad probably got her really upset too, because he was, you know, probably so upset. And from what I understand, Sarah seemed to be one of her best friends on campus. Um, as far as we know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she was pretty, she was pretty upset that day about it. And then I, I, and I, I feel like I remember her being frustrated about the cops not searching for her as much as they could kind of thing. Did she mention anything more about her conversation with Fred? Not that I recall. Um, again, it's, you know, it's so long ago. I, I just remember the feeling like I remember her being upset and like, it was serious. Like it wasn't like, a she, you know, was drinking and she took off from her car. Like kind of, it was like, this is serious, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, and I don't remember anything else other than her dad called me, you know, she may have expressed how upset he was. Um, and he, he maybe asked Sarah to kind of, you know, ask anybody else, because like I said, you know, nobody else asked us anything. <laughs> so yeah, that which makes is, sense. looking back on it is so weird. Um, but yeah, I was never asked by anybody, anything. Did you get any indication that Mora was a hard partier at UMass? No, <laughs> I, I, again, even, I guess even like if, even after some of the openings, like after everybody left, sometimes we'd hang out a little bit, but no, I would, I would never say she was a big partier. Like that could, that could even be like a reason why, um, we didn't hang out. Like she seemed really like sport orientated and like, um, school, like she just seemed really serious. I mean, I, I was also like, I got good grades, but the, you know, the living area, I guess she lived there too, was, was kind of notorious for being like the party section. And, um, I just, you know, I, the friends I hung out with were, you know, pretty wild. So (laughs) I, I felt like her or Sarah probably wouldn't even want to hang out with us kind of thing. So no, I would definitely not say that. Um, Okay. So, so you didn't, yeah. you never saw her at parties or anything like that. She didn't run in the same no. crowd as you. Right. Right. Other than work. And it's, but it's so big, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. She just seemed, and she had multiple jobs. Like it, it, it's, I don't know. She seemed like she definitely was very focused on stuff and she didn't have much time because if you're working that shift where you're the, the door check-in person, like, um, that's like the whole night. And I don't know how many nights a week she did that, but I mean, you obviously can't go out on those nights at all because you're there till like one or two in the morning. I believe she had the gallery job. So, you know, that's a lot. I just remember the gallery job alone was a lot for me to fit in with my classes, you know, like that was already kind of a lot for me. What did you major in at UMass? Oh, so probably when she went missing I may have still been undecided I went undecided so I had a lot of like general education classes um my first two years and then 
I maybe halfway through my second year, I ended up in the art major. So I kind of did the foundations program a little bit later. I was older and I did it with freshmen and I was an art history minor, which fit in, you know, with working at the gallery. And then my concentration in art was education. So I did art education and I had a minor in art history. Did you ever hear any rumors of groups that had uh, that were affiliated with the sports program having orgies? No, no. <laughs> I do. I lived on the floor with the basketball team, and I like they are sorry. They lived the floor above us, and there were two girls that lived next to us that used to hang out with them all the time, and they were pretty wild. But I don't, I don't remember any talk of that specifically. No. I, I couldn't picture more doing that at all either. <laughs> Just to be honest, like, couldn't even picture that. In your uh, initial email to us, you mentioned uh, you that you had a, a car accident. Um, could you, Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I, well, you know, it just, it didn't even click with me, honestly, about her having an accident and me having an accident till I was actually writing, um, you know, the email. And then I'm kind of thinking about, you know, being on the side of the road. The only thing, though, that kind of makes mine a lot different or maybe not, but I had a severe concussion. So I don't actually remember even a little bit before the accident I don't remember almost like a whole week after the accident um I was you know up and about and talking and everything but I definitely have a pretty big lapse in memory there the reason I know what happened was you know because of like reports and people telling me and whatnot but um yeah I went off on 495 like in between the north and the southbound side I re- the last thing I remember is there was construction going on and it was like narrowing into a lane, but there weren't like police or anything. It was just like sort of sectioned off and I don't know, it was around 10 o'clock at night. So it was pretty quiet. Um, and that's the last thing I remember, but I went into like a ditch in between the two highways um, and my car kind of gradually must have slowed down like hitting all the bushes and I was way out of the view of like cars driving by. So nobody saw me and unless somebody clipped me that I don't know about and just took off, like I'm not even sure how the accident actually happened. Um, But I, you know, I ended up down there and I, the airbag came out, my face kind of hit the windshield, actually broke the windshield (laughs) and I, must have passed out for a couple hours because I, I hit my head so hard and then I must have woken up kind of climbed out the window somehow and up the hill and I started walking like towards my house like I you know I crossed the three lanes on the south side of the highway yeah this is like a major major interstate so, yeah 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 Ser- yeah seriously but again I was obviously really disorientated. Like somebody ended up seeing me walking. And at this point it must've been a couple hours later, like midnight and they called the cops and then the cop came, he pulled up on me and you know, it was even hard for him to tell because he said like, you were talking totally fine. 
Like I gave them my parents' proper phone number, like my boyfriend's proper phone number and name. But then I said I was with, you know, two girls that I hadn't seen in like 10 years. So obviously I was, you know, my mind was not in the right place. I was very disorientated. And at that point I had been passed out for two hours. So I probably lost a lot of blood. And wow. anyhow, <laughs> it was a horrible accident. But like thinking about that, um, I, I don't know if I would have got into somebody's car if I had such a bad concussion, like, because I remember being really cold and like the cop said that he said, you just kept saying, well, I'm really cold and I just want to go home. And I was walking South, like towards my house. I mean, it was miles away, but I could almost picture myself possibly getting in anybody's car if they offered me a ride home at that point, you know? So that's kind of what made me think of it. But I don't think she possibly could have hit her head that hard, but I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure how bad the accident was or if that's even a possibility um, of her walking around with a concussion and having no clue what she's doing or, you know. What's, what's interesting is your airbag went off and you still hit your head on the windshield. Yeah, it's. I went like in between the... Like I went, if you look at your windshield, I almost went like right in the middle, like where the console sort of is, like right in that middle section. So I went, I don't know if the airbag maybe came out too late. I'm not sure how or why that happened. But um, yeah, like the right side of my face, like I broke my orbital bone, um, my whole eye socket. Like they actually didn't know if I would see again. <laughs> like um, my whole right side of my face was pretty damaged and I remember you know having chunks of like safety glass after the scabs were starting to heal and stuff I remember um pieces kind of in the scabs like still pulling them out weeks later so I obviously hit my head really really hard um enough to crack the windshield and have some pieces it didn't like I had didn't go through the windshield, but it, it broke it and enough for like the layer on the inside, I guess, to come off on some level. Yikes. Damn, that is that is a hell of an accident. It's, uh Yeah. You uh you must uh you must thank your, your, your stars that nothing happened in the interim between the accident yeah. and you getting picked up by the police. I know. You know what the weirdest too? the cops were like, we don't even know how you got out of the car because the doors were like smashed in. And he said the window was only open like six inches or something. So he's like, you must have like. And I think the the doors were locked because he's he literally couldn't figure out how I got out of the car. But the weirdest thing about it is um, it was the to the it was the same exact day. My grandfather had died the year before and. I had his obituary in my back pocket. Um, I had seen it in a newspaper like earlier that day, ripped it out and stuck it in my back pocket. And um, he, I was really close with my grandfather. He lived in my house like my whole life. And um, I remember the one and my mom probably will, you know, she'd confirm this. But I kept saying afterwards, like because they had to cut some of my clothes off and she had the clothes and I kept saying, oh, I have that obituary in the back pocket or, and it wasn't there. Like she said, no, it's not here, Michelle. Like, I don't see it. It's not here. So that was always a really weird kind of thing. Like I always, 
I, or I like to think that he possibly, you know, got me, woke me up, got me out of the car and got me home safe, you know, Damn, on yeah. some level. <laughs> I mean, something did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. weird just, uh, just kind of as an aside here. Uh, but it, like, like if you had never gotten, gotten picked up there by the police, um, and if you had, you had gone missing and the mm-hmm. circumstances were that the, the window is only open seven inches and the cops didn't know how you got out. Where, mm-hmm. where would we be? You know what I mean? What, what kind of investigation would start at that point? I mean, like, it would be like a paranormal thing. I feel people like people would be all over. Yeah, like right? she just disappeared yeah. out of, and I, that's a, that's a really good point. But I think, yeah, I think it just it just goes to show you that sometimes just weird things happen, unexplainable things happen. Yeah, right. You're talking about an accident where your your brain is so affected. You started referencing people that you hadn't seen in ten years, like you were hanging out with them that night, and these, yeah. this weird thing about your window being open just a few inches and not knowing how mm-hmm. you got out we the people have analyzed right. Morris car and said well there's no way it could have been like this uh, you know the way it hit the snowbank like we've said this before there's right. so many variables to an accident by definition it's an yeah. accident right like right. you can't put a you it's not a math equation it's never going to happen the same way twice. exactly yeah. exactly and right. and then you add in the human element and this has been really revealing because you think about when butch shows up to the to her car the only thing that we have of why she said no to butch is butch saying well i'm a bigger guy maybe she was just intimidated by me and she didn't want to you know come Mm -hmm. with a with a bigger guy but she might not have even she might have had a mild concussion and she might have not even realized where she was at the time like there could have been so much going on in her head at that time that it had nothing to do with butch's appearance I mean, just imagine right. Michelle's uh, victimology at that moment, right? You walked a mile and a half across three lanes of highway. First of all, yeah. you're lucky you're alive <laughs> because you walked across three lanes of highway in the middle of the night. But And then right. you walked a mile and a half, and you have no memory of this later. So, I mean, right. well, you, that was like probably an hour or so, or at least you know two hours, you said. So wh- how, yeah. how many people could you have run into in those two hours that could have— potentially abducted you or something like that. I just mean you were, you were sort of right. an easy target at that point. Oh yeah. I I had like one, like two and a half inch stiletto on and one not on. And I broke my foot to top off. Oh <laughs> so my, my foot was broken and I had this one huge heel on and not one on the other foot. Like I, I the whole thing is beyond bizarre. Like, and they couldn't actually even find my, they thought somebody possibly like beat me up and threw me out of a moving car because they couldn't find my car because it was so down in the ditch. They like couldn't find it for a very long time. I, I even I'll have to look at the report again, but I believe they had to um, send like dogs out to find the car because they like couldn't find my vehicle. That's how how low down it was. And that's why nobody could see it, you know, and you know, we still don't know if somebody clipped me or whatever happened, but it's nobody would believe that story. Like if you were to make a movie about it, nobody would believe that story. They would be like, yeah, that's a little far fetched. Well, I mean, we could do, we could do an entire podcast series on crazy accidents. (laughs) Now yours would probably be in the top two. That's an incredible idea. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't put that out there. It's a good idea. (laughs) That's ours. (laughs) Um, But that's a great point that you brought up Tim about, the the window being open, I never even considered that. Like, what would people say if we were looking at that mystery 
they, it would it would go in so many directions. My gosh, I right? Mean, and and then the, even the police the, think about their investigation. They couldn't even find the car. Like so, they mm-hmm. they thought you were thrown out. They thought there was someone you know uh, guilty of some kind of abuse there. You know. Yeah, they were like asking about my boyfriend, who you know would never do that, but. It's That's amazing. what they thought. It was like a domestic violence thing, and someone just decided to throw me out of the car while they were driving on the highway. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a good lesson to to take, I think, uh, from this. From this, you know, I just think it's a it's a good a good point to know that sometimes there, there's just not an answer for these weird elements. And certainly in these missing persons cases that we look into, there's a lot of these weird uh, elements that are pretty much red herrings like you you climbing out of this window seven inch window ultimately if you had gone missing would have been a red herring right right and i could see me like um well i always think that when they first said that about the window i've always been super claustrophobic and i've never been awake or conscious when an airbag like that i remember with an airbag going off but um you know, like the one thing I remember from that almost like four or five days was going in the CAT scan machine because I'm wicked claustrophobic. So that was my first thought. Like, okay, I wake up two hours later and this thing is in my face. Like I totally must have freaked out I, and just, yeah. I guess, you know, turned into a rat and had no bones or something and like climbed out <laughs> the window. But that's, that's my assumption because I know like if, if that was in my face like that, that would really scare the crap out of me. Like, you know, even if the concussion or not, like it definitely would have scared me. So I probably just tried to do whatever I could to get out. Um, but yeah, again, nobody, I think I just remember and my dad went to look at the car after I never saw the car after, but my dad went to look at it. Um, and he said the same thing, kind of like, yeah, your doors were like when the, you know, when the car like pushes in, like pushes forward like that, the doors kind of like crunch in. So it's like, you couldn't, he couldn't open either door and the driver's side window was open a little bit, but he said, it, I would never guess you could get out of it. <laughs> and yeah, very very weird thing but like i said the only thing that sort of makes sense to me is like my grandfather you know kind of getting me home safe that's like what i always think back on you know because and at the time it never crossed my mind like it was years later and a woman said to me like are you crazy like that's (laughs) obviously what happened you know like your grandfather saved you and it's like yeah you know now it now i think it all the time but I didn't really put it together at the time, you know. That's uh, it's a really amazing story. I I love the fact mm. that we we just dove into that so <laughs> so thoroughly. That was great. I mean, it's yeah. not great you got in the accident, don't get me wrong. You it's uh it's no. just a it's a it's an amazing story. So the the photograph was never recovered? No, it was like the newspaper clipping, but ah. no. No, wow. that was I, and I was being obsessive about it for some weird reason. Like I just kept saying, oh, I know I put it in my back pocket and I had like these dress pants on. So it would have been like a, a little tiny slit pocket that goes kind of deep. So I don't think it could have fallen out, but um, whatever, you know, I might have taken it out when I was walking. Who knows? There, um, on that date, uh, did, 
are there other things in your life that have uh, occurred on that date in other years? No, but you know what? Um, whenever it rolls around, I know my mom always thinks about it like something bad could happen. I think about it, but you know, that's nothing else that I recall has happened. that has been really bad on that date, but you know, I, I always have my grandfather in my mind at, at different times for different reasons. But yeah, hopefully that was enough for a lifetime. <laughs> to go back to Maura at UMass, I'm curious if she ever mentioned any boyfriends to you or if she mentioned any issues that she was having with her boyfriend at the time, Billy? Not that I recall. I do remember her talking about, was it her fiance though? Or boy, was she engaged to him or no? Um, they were planning on getting engaged according okay. to Billy. Cause that's, that's what I, I do vaguely remember that being pretty serious. And I don't know if she knew or she mentioned something about that, but um, I, I definitely remember talking about her boyfriend that lived, you know, far away. I don't remember where it was at the time now or then, but um yeah, she used to talk about him just here and there, but no ish. I don't remember any issues. Again, I don't know if I'd be the person that she'd bring it up to, but I don't even remember in like, you know, a casual joking session where, you know, sometimes girls just say things about their boyfriends being crappy or whatever. Like, I don't remember anything like that. Um, seemed like a pretty positive relationship as far as I could see. Okay, and was were there any uh, rumors or any talk, or did she talk to you about the indiscretion that she had with the credit card and using the numbers of someone else's credit card to make food purchases? No. The only thing I, I feel like Sarah had brought up the accident um, that she had with her dad's car, I think. Yeah. Um, I feel like she brought that up after like she was like you know well she did just get in an accident like a couple weeks ago but no I definitely don't remember the credit card thing I can't see her doing that but you know there's so many I feel like you know growing up with a a lot of pressure like she sort of had and it I don't know if it's pressure from anybody else other than maybe just internal pressure to you know succeed and be good at everything and I can sort of relate to having this like, you know, perfect kind of look on the outside and doing everything right and getting straight A's and playing three sports and doing all that. And then internally feeling like, you know, almost like you want to do something wrong because everybody just thinks you're so perfect kind of thing. That's what I think that was about because it obviously wasn't a money thing. I just think maybe she was, you know, she felt different than what she was portraying to everybody. And sometimes I think that causes us to do things like that, that are just spontaneous and not like ourselves. And it, it almost gives you a sense of relief kind of like, okay, I guess I, that I can do things like that, you know? Yeah. That's but, so refreshing to hear. We have so many yeah. people that try to psychoanalyze Maura's mind space at the time and you know, like the money was there were there money issues was she, i mean we did it we're guilty of sure. looking at that oh, yeah. picture yeah. that the uh security took of her outside please the don't bring this up <laughs> but, it's very embarrassing <laughs> for me but you know it's it, you you start to analyze it way too much and it's just refreshing right. to hear somebody who knew her 
and who has very similar experiences to her say sometimes the perception that everyone has of you you just want to know yourself that you're capable of doing something to the alternative whether it's good or bad you just want to know that you're a complete human yeah and i mean again my impression of her was like she was perfect kind of person you know like she had everything and like, you know, she didn't wear a lot of makeup. She was beautiful. Like, you know, she just seemed to have it all. And I think, again, that like I heard about the thing at West Point seems like a similar pattern. Like she just had this little itch inside her that once in a while she scratched it, I think, you know, yeah. and, you know, bad things happen. But, um, yeah, I don't see. I don't see that having any kind of like huge impact on anything. I think it was again, and you know, you're still young. Like I look back when I was in college and it's like, God, the things you did, you know, like you think you're an adult, but like, you're so not. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah. (laughs) Was there ever any talk of the UMass outing club cabin? And do you have an opinion on, whether this would be a place that Mora was going to when she when she left for New Hampshire, she bought more alcohol than one person probably should consume over the course of a couple of days. Yeah. It, it looked like she was going to meet people or it looked like she was going for an extended period of time. Do you have I know it's a sort of a multifaceted question, but did yeah. you ever hear of the cabin that that the Audi I, club went to? I didn't hear of the cabin, but that could have been something that kind of went over my head because maybe they were talking about it and I I wasn't one to go venture outside like my living area kind of thing I was I came from a small town I was just not really like that at that point um so it it, they could you know they could have been talking about it and it possibly maybe just went over my head and I didn't know what they were talking about um but possibly going to do something like that might relate to the same thing we were just talking about. Um, like maybe she couldn't get drunk and be a little, you know, crazy at UMass because of her jobs and her sports and all that. So maybe, you know, she just wanted to go somewhere where nobody knew her kind of thing for a short period of time and just let loose a little bit, you know, because it definitely, again, I don't think in any way, shape or form did she leave to leave forever. Like you don't buy like her buying those tickets, like stuff. I just, you know, think about if that was me and there's just too many things. There is no way. Like I I even heard maybe she had her homework books in her bag. Like you just don't do stuff like that if you're that, reckless so I you know I think if that's if that's a possibility and if she maybe was headed to that cabin um I would guess it's along the same lines of like her stealing the credit card and her you know with the minor shoplifting thing that she did like maybe she just wanted to go somewhere where she could be herself for a little while kind of thing, you know? Did she ever mention to you how uh, her car ran? Did she ever say, like, the condition of her car or that she was going to purchase a new car at some point with her dad? I don't remember that for sure. Um, I feel like, too, we probably did talk about cars because I also had a car on campus, like a really old, you know, 
little escape. I think it was, or an escort, I think it was, um, that had a ton of miles on it that never ran great. Um, so I'm sure we did talk about it, but I can't honestly say I remember a specific conversation, but we would have parked it in the same parking lot and, um, possibly walk to it. I possibly even was in that car. Like I don't, like I said, we would go kind of do things around town sometimes like for the gallery. So there's a possibility I was even in it. I just, I can't put my finger on it exactly. So you parked in the same lot. How far away was that from the art gallery that you worked at? It's a bit of a, well, the gallery actually would have probably been one of the closest points to that on campus unless you happen to get us if you got a spot and like there was this horseshoe if you got a spot there you were relatively close to like the dorm and the gallery but I had a standard and the horseshoe was like you know a basically like purely uphill or purely downhill so parallel parking was a standard <laughs> there wasn't very fun yeah so I would always park in the lot and I don't know if you've seen the layout, but the park, like we used to hate walking to the parking lot yeah. because it's, it was a, it was a far way away. Like even we used to go to the gym and stuff and have to go to the car and it was like, Oh, we gotta walk to the car. <laughs> like it just, it was always kind of a hike to get to your car. Um, looking back on it, I don't know. It probably was from the gallery to the big parking lot. If you were in the first spot in the parking lot, I would say is like a under a half a mile, like or okay, yeah, in it's between like, a quarter and a half mile. It's, it's like a ten minute far. walk at least, yeah. yeah. So yeah. W if you were to leave during your shift to, to go get coffee or something like that, would you go get do that task in your car, or would you go with John, or perhaps borrow John's car for that? Most of the time, I remember John driving, and he had one of those trucks where only two people could sit in the front. Okay. Um, maybe he had, like, one of those little tiny back seats, but I feel like I remember only two of us always, two girls, and or I don't think there was any boys that worked at the camp, um, at the gallery, but I remember there would always, most of the time, we would take his truck, and he, you can actually pull your car up right in front of the gallery. You're just not really allowed to unless you're loading or, you know, whatever like that. So I mostly remember being in his car, but if he was not there and we had to go do something for Anne or for the gallery or whatever it might be, we would probably take one of our cars. I just, I don't remember I don't remember if it was mine, if it was hers, if Sarah had a car. There was a couple other girls that possibly may have drove once in a while. I'm not 100% sure on that. Okay. Thanks a lot. Is uh, is there anything else you want to say about um, uh, Mora or uh, your time with her at UMass or anything at all? Um, no, I mean, just that, like I said, she was an overall great person. Like, no matter what mistakes she made, like, you know... I don't think she ever deserved any of this. Like it stinks that there's so many weird like circumstances around it that made it look like something. I think that it wasn't. Um, but, uh, you know, I feel like everybody has that stuff in their life that if everyone dug inside, they'd find things, you know? So it's, it's like her whole life now has been really 
examined, you know? So it's, I don't know. That's, that to me is, it's kind of like a sad thing. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful though for so many people reaching out and like trying to solve it because I, I listen to that crime junkie podcast all the time. And it's like so many of these things just get forgotten and it's like these families can't even get people to remember anything you know so I, I am grateful for people like you guys her dad like all that is is awesome that you know everybody kind of came together like I think there is power in numbers and um that's why I reached out because I'm you know I, I know I'm not gonna solve anything but I felt like it was important to kind of you know give my point of view on her because she was a really good person. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 